Gayest of greetings, you spooky listeners. Welcome to another episode of My Spooky Gay Family. I am your resident spooky drag queen, Pissy Miles. And I'm your resident spooky drag queen, spooky sister, Sam Baxter. And, and this, this is, is My Spooky, spooky Gay, gay Family. Hello again, Sam Baxter. Hi, Pissy. <laughs> Why are you so le- much less enthused to hear from me? I'm not less enthused to hear from you. I'm just, I'm understated. That's like, I'm, it's my brand. I'm like, I'm like, Sam Baxter, oh my God, my favorite. And you're like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? What's going on? Not a lot. I'm, I'm at home. How are you? <laughs> but why? Why? <laughs> um, I'm doing okay. I'm just uh, I'm I'm enjoying my my day. I'm trying to uh, I, I'm trying to be productive today. I have a lot of sewing to do. I I have to make uh, masks and dresses and all kinds of things. And I also <laughs> ba- basically like the s- it was the first day of quarantine, I believe. That first Monday, I was productive as hell. I did all this shit, and then uh, I I washed and brushed out four. Excuse me, I had McDonald's for lunch. Four wigs, and <laughs> I I washed them overnight. So the next day, or, or I'm sorry, that night I had to hang them on like shower hooks, mm-hmm. and so that they could like drip dry, so that the next day they could be uh like reset and styled, but. I got sick that week, so I just kind of forgot about them. And now four weeks later, I still have four wigs just like hanging in my shower. <laughs> like the Tribble Chainsaw Massacre. Like Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, it looks like if the Texas Chainsaw Massacre had been had taken place on on like Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. But um, and and for those of you who are now assuming that I haven't been showering, the answer is I have uh, two bathrooms, <laughs> and then they are in my drag bathroom, <laughs> where which I do not shower in. I shower in the one in my in my bedroom, um, and so I I at some point today would like to get to brushing out those wigs and starting to prepare them for restyling. I mean, that's have... an admirable goal. I don't have any wigs to restyle today. I was probably going to. <laughs> You're going to do all of yours tomorrow. No, I was just going to leave it. I was just going to let it, you know. Just, let it just, grow. Just let it grow. Let it grow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm actually pissed uh, off because I've been growing my hair out for a long time and I was getting to the point where I was going to have it cut. And now, of course, I can't do that. So <laughs> You're like, now I'll get it cut. And they were like, everyone stay home. It's like, <laughs> Son well, of a bitch. Okay. I guess this is going to get even longer. You can follow one of those like YouTube hair cutting tutorials. I think it is a- officially past that point. Basically, unless I want to go like full Sinead O'Connor with it, I think this is beyond <laughs> the point. Would you ever just like buzz your head? No, I don't. Th- I don't think I could. I think I am just vain enough about my hair that I don't think I could. But your hair, ha- I mean, at some points in your life, your hair has been pretty short. It's it's been very short. It's never gone the full buzz though, and and I think I, I don't think I have it in me. 
Honestly, I don't think I have it in me to go that short. Not at all? Not even like some small sliver of you? Now I can be considered. (laughs) I have considered the undercut. And I think that's about as, as, as... as short as I would go would probably be an undercut with like sort of that swoopy sort of Ruby Rose thing going on. But I was, you know, it's funny. I was just about to say I could see you doing like a Ruby Rose. <laughs> Otherwise known as like eighth grade boy. Yeah. yeah. I, could prob- I could probably pull that one off. No, it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like the butch calling card haircut. It's very yeah, like we're, Leah Delaria. We're good at that. It, it's kind of a uh, no. Elvira Kurt had just like a generally short haircut, and she was pretty femme. She was probably she was still girly. is wherever she is. <laughs> fella girly was was the word she used. In that what did she call it? Fella girly, which is not fella quite girly. butch, not quite femme, somewhere in the middle. I like that. I wonder what she's up to these days. I don't know. I've never. I haven't looked it up. For those of you who don't know, Elvira Kurt is a lesbian comic, uh, and she was very popular in the '90s. But I haven't heard much about her these days I, I wonder what she's doing you should all check her out because she had um what was the name of what well, it was kitten with a wit yeah Is that, what that was the, her her mm-hmm. her album was called uh she had a, a cd called kitten with a wit and it was really funny she's very very funny yeah, no, what was what was good. what was her nationality that she was um, used I, to i believe she was canadian but i don't know what her parents were and i don't no, think her, she ever her, said her, it was like Albanian or it was like yeah, it was some, somewhere in Eastern Europe. Was, yeah, it was, was some Eastern European. And the only li- the line I always remember is she was like her mom talking about her was like, she's a lesbian and a comedian, both at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that is my Elvira Kurt impression of her doing an impression of her mother. Speaking of, of funny things from the 90s. I love funny things from the 90s. As a matter of fact, one of my very, very favorite things is from the 90s. Yes, and it's the thing we're supposed to be talking about today. So we should probably tell them what it is. It is. This is my, like, Sam got Jaws and this is my Jaws. (laughs) Jaws is your favorite movie of all time. This is my favorite movie of all time. Like, it is like, this is the best, in my opinion, the best movie ever made for any reason ever. And it is the birdcage. <laughs> I wish it had a really like, iconic the theme like Jaws. We could have we could have done it to start the episode again. Uh I always think of there's two songs I always think of when I think of this when I think of this movie. There's Love is in the air, running about this morning, people everywhere. Out of their minds back clearly. Uh that song, by the way, this is a little piece of birdcage trivia for you, and musical theater trivia, is a song that was originally supposed to be the opening number of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, and Stephen Sondheim cut it because, uh, I can't remember, I think it was how Prince said it didn't really serve the story, um, and it didn't, like, set the... It didn't set the show up for you to know, like, where things were going. So Stephen Sondheim rewrote the song, and it became... Uh, comedy tonight i did not know that yes or i think of that other song that albert sings on stage where he's like i know this grocery clerk <laughs> unprepossessing <laughs> some think the boy's a jerk and i've always wondered if that's like a real song or if it's just like three lines that someone wrote for the sake of the movie <laughs> 
I, and I have no idea. I kind of hope it's a real song because I would love to find it. If, if it's a real yeah. song, I promise you that when we come out of quarantine, it will be in my act. <laughs> <laughs> like, I promise you. You're I doing it you. as Starina. As Just- Starina. I will make the full leopard outfit. Look, it comes with accessories. <laughs> For the, you don't know what you've gotten yourselves into listening to this episode because I'm basically just going to quote this movie from beginning to end. Yeah, on, it the, is, on the off chance that you have not seen this film um, and are listening, I would recommend you not listen until you've seen it. because Yeah, beca- because I'm going, going to talk to about well. this movie in and out. In yes. and out. <laughs> Which also is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> sort Starring of a Kevin different Klein. vibe, but yeah. It's kind of in the same vein, though. It's a... It's yeah, a kind of. It's a coming-of-age movie about a homosexual. I, I consider the, the birdcage to be more of a more of a farce than In and Out is. Like, yeah. Well, that, I, I don't know. Because uh, uh, Joan Cusack in that movie, in In and Out, is fa- absolutely farcical. That's fair. But is I think that everybody gay? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a slightly different depth of emotion in in and out than there is in the birdcage yeah although i will say like i never thought about it until just this very moment but there's a lot of like in and out is very much a comedy but it is also very sentimental when it when it wants to be mm-hmm. but the birdcage is also that way and it's one of the things i love about the birdcage is that like it is based on on a, a french film called la cage fall and it's kind of it's it's very funny and farcical and over the top, but then it has these really grounded moments of like what an actual gay relationship looks like between two middle-aged men. And that in my opinion is like part of what makes the movie so important is that like it makes you fall in love with these characters because they're so funny and easy to love because it's so fucking funny that when I mean this movie came out in 1996 we were at like the the tail end of what is generally considered the the like peak of the the AIDS epidemic and people were falling in love with two gay characters like that is unfathomable for the time this is like pre-Matthew Shepard, pre-Will and Grace, post-Ellen, but, (laughs) but, yeah, but, um, it it was so important in its timing because you had people like Ellen, you had people like Leah Delaria and Bob Smith, these really amazing queer, Judy Gold, these amazing queer comedians who had kind of paved the way for a movie like The Birdcage and, I don't, this was around the same time as Priscilla and to Wong Fu. Um, there was kind of this drag boom in the 90s that was like the precursor to the drag boom we're having now. Um, <laughs> and it's very interesting to look at where the birdcage falls in that timeline, don't you think? I think so. I have to admit, I haven't given it quite as much thought, I think, as you have. Um, in terms of sort of the historical <laughs> context of the birdcage. It's just my, like, because it's my favorite movie, I think a lot about that. Like, I, I give a lot of thought to the context of this film and how important it was in it. That's fine. I'm, I'm <laughs> over here watching Hank Azaria kick his heels and 
sing I know. Esteban, so I'm like, <laughs> ah, but sir, I cannot wear shoes because they make me fall down. <laughs> <laughs> Put your shoes on, Agador. <laughs> <laughs> Hank is there. Like, th- one thing that I say to people when, when they ask me why it's my favorite movie is like, there is no weak link in this movie. There is no one person where I'm like, you could have recast that and I would have I wouldn't notice. It's like even down to like Val and Barbara, like they're not the most endearing characters, but they the way they are played by Dan Futter what is it? Futterman? Uh, Futterman or, yeah, Dan Futterman and Callista Flockhart. Like it's 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 fun and it's cute and it's funny. Like and uh, particularly Callista Flockhart, I think, is very funny. Um <laughs> Especially because Which is of helpful because her character is just awful. Well, like, I, I, but you know what's <laughs> funny is like, I mean, Val and Barbara at, at the time it makes sense, but in today's context, you're like, wow, these are terrible like, children. Wow, what, what a pair of muscles! Like, <laughs> fuck know. these kids! Like, like what a bunch of douchebags! <laughs> um, and it, it's funny because like Callista Flockhart is gives you such dry humor in this movie that it's like. It's kind of perfect because it balances out the farce of Robin Williams and Nathan Lane to have a more dry humor. Like even Gene Hackman is like farcical. He yeah. is such a send up of the the extreme right. And that, I like, think I think Diane Weist might be like the third strongest player in this film. <laughs> like, like, like somebody has to <laughs> like me best. <laughs> There's the cover Barbara. of Time and Newsweek and people right there. Like, <laughs> she's just like, she goes from this being just this like sweet like kindergarten teacher to like his campaign manager in two seconds. And it's, I just, know. Like, it's just absolutely perfect. I know. I could really use some candy. You've had enough candy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I need some candy, Louise. <laughs> also, her singing I Could Have Danced All Night with Robin Williams is one of my favorite parts. It's, it's like, just because it's it's them kind of subdued for a second, and then it's Gene Hackman and Nathan Lane just going, like, batshit crazy, twirling. I know. <laughs> my my favorite moment in that whole scene is when they're walking out into the dining room, and Nathan Lane goes, you know, I played Eliza in high school. And Gene Hackman goes, I bet you were lovely. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like that's the perfect part about this being written by Elaine May and directed by Mike Nichols. They are such a powerhouse comedy duo that it's like they understand that it's like they understand the farce and the crazy and like when things are way over the top, but they also know how to get in those like those like curveballs that just kind of like sneak under the radar and like nail you in the gut and you're like, oh my God, this is so funny. Like it's like that 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 drag queen at the end that's like, Bob Dole is gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Like there is not one moment in this movie that I'm not like, this is perfect. And that's why there have been there have been a lot of times where people said like oh there's talks of like a remake of the birdcage and i'm like no never 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 i will never go see that movie because in my opinion if you're remaking a movie it's to make it better and this movie literally cannot be made better even for its mistakes or its mishaps like this movie is perfect it cannot be made better than it is I have to agree with that. I think if nothing else, like you're never going to get that cast again. Like, like you're never going to get no. that, that perfect chemistry ever again. Yeah. And I just, th- th- there's no point. Like it's fine the way it is. You don't need to remake it. 
It's like like it's not even fine the way it is. It's perfect the way it is. Like it is <laughs> immaculate the way it is. Nathan Lane, Robin Williams, Hank Azaria, Diane Weist, Gene Hackman. Like the, these are powerhouse comedians and actors. And it's like I I can't think of anyone I would want to see play these roles differently or or again like this movie is so perfect to me and i know that it's a little bit because like i have just built it up so much for myself but it's also because the skill that went into making this movie just can't be duplicated and mike nichols has sadly died so it's like if mike nichols isn't going to direct it and robin williams and nathan lane are not going to star in it it's like what's the fucking point like what why do we need this there really isn't one and it's also like just for a second on robin williams like this is not a typical robin williams part Mm. like he's not being zany and off the wall like that's the nathan lane part yeah like he's being like kind of subdued actually and that's what's funny is robin williams was originally offered the part of albert and he turned it down and took armand because he wanted to do the different role I think I that's know. really interesting because like I was I was watching this yesterday to to prepare mm-hmm. for this. <laughs> Can I please have a second exactly. to my a moment to myself to prepare? Exactly. <laughs> and like I was watching it and I realized about halfway through I'm like this is not at all the way I would have expected this cast to be. Like I would never have expected Robin Williams to be playing so quote unquote the straight man in this relationship like i would not I know. have <laughs> the, the quote unquote straight <laughs> <Yeah>. man <laughs> don't use that tone with me that sarcastic contemptuous tone that means you know everything because you're a man and i know nothing because i'm a woman you're not a woman oh you best <laughs> <laughs> it's like the writing elaine may is a genius she wrote the most perfect script for this movie because it's like I was saying earlier it's so funny but the moments that are touching like the scene in the like on the river when or on the bay I mean um when Robin Williams comes to find Albert after after their fight and he's like take it all what does it matter I'm 50 years old there's only one place in the world I call home and it's because you're there so take it what does it matter if you say I can say or you or I say you can say it's ours? And it's like it's such a touching moment because it's like it's the it's the grounding of the characters that makes the other parts so much more lovable because it's like these are real people with real problems. It's just that they're so dramatic that they become so overblown. And it's like it highlights the love between these two people and this really really uh real relationship because i think you're married i'm married i know that i've had these moments with my husband where it's like one of us starts to get a little crazy and the other one has to look at them and go hey everything's okay we're doing this together and that's a lot of times the only thing you need to hear is like it's okay we're gonna do this together you know Yes, I do. I think that if nothing else in my marriage, definitely I've heard I, hearing that has occasionally brought me down from a full nutty. So, <laughs> full nutty. Yeah, hey, we're back to it, the full nutty. <laughs> but, um, 
No, and especially since, like, because of sort of the social mores of the time, like, you, you don't see Armand and Albert kiss ever. Like, like they, they don't really yeah. do anything other than hold hands. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have to have this, like, amazing intimacy, and it has to all be dialogue, <laughs> because it can't be physical. So it's it's an interesting kind of moment there. And it's the only moment in the entire movie, honestly, that I think moves me as opposed to just makes me laugh. Because I think it's kind of the only downbeat where we really have a moment where it's like, okay, let's explain why this works. And it works because they love each other. Yeah. Because otherwise, like, you just watch them, like, bickering for for two hours and you're like, I don't actually understand why they're together. I mean, it's weird because the bickering never feels like, it never feels vicious. Even when they're having, like, the huge fight in the beginning, you can tell that it's like, it's like a, it's like a married fight (laughs) where, where, and it's just that Albert is being crazy. It, but Armand is also being like, insensitive. It, it feels like a ritual almost. <laughs> like they've had the same fight every night this week. Like, yeah. They're <laughs> waiting to applaud you, the great Starina. <laughs> <laughs> Tannins? <laughs> <laughs> and it, I think that's kind of what is so much fun about the movie is that like, especially these days, and, and I'm not complaining about it because I think queer representation now is is at such an all-time high and like it's a great thing for young people but we're starting to see like the wb era of queer yeah representation (laughs) where it's like everyone is is for is like 22 and hot and it's like (laughs) okay but there are there are like middle-aged gay people too and there are also like fat gay people short and fat and hairy and bald and yeah and 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 every combination thereof (laughs) and so like (laughs) It's like, it's so nice to see two characters who really are just in a committed relationship to each other and it's not perfect and it's not always romantic and it's not always, you know, them. It like the entire fight isn't with the outside world. Sometimes the fight is with just the things that come up in any relationship in you know, trusting someone or in feeling valued by your partner or in valuing your partner. Like it, it doesn't feel like, even though the, the main storyline of the film is about homophobia. So many of the problems that are addressed in it have nothing to do with homophobia. They actually have to do with being in a committed relationship. And also being a parent which is like such a big part of it too, is like you don't really see even now like a ton of queer representation where gay parenting is addressed. Yeah. And like... Or if it is, it's always like someone making the joke that's like, oh, my moms are that way. Or like, oh, my dad's really like baseball too. And it's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And and again, that's fine. Like I'm I'm not knocking queer representation, but it is like... I think the beauty of the birdcage is it is very much in the way gay characters are are represented as not really being that different. No, they're not. And even like one of my favorite sequences in this movie actually is um, Albert the day after Val. It's it's, it's, it's like it's like the second 
walking sequence, through the market. Yeah. Walking through this, walking through the market, and everyone says, "Good morning, Albert. Good morning." Like, like, like he's talking to the guy with the lobster. He's talking the, the, the piglet bit with the, is home. Yeah, the, the bit with the schnecken. Like, like it's it's that was improvised. I, that I was Mason Lane's improv. That. Would you mind if I take one more? <laughs> when the schnecken beckons. No, but like that's one of my favorite parts of the movie because it just it shows that they're in this place where it's like everybody knows who Albert is. Everybody knows what Albert does. Everybody knows who Albert's with. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Like, it's they just, just care because just he's a light of yeah. life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like this vibrant person who just is like effeminate and over the top and, and colorful and vibrant. And is a and, part of that community in a way that isn't questioned at all. Like, yeah. Which yeah. is just so refreshing to not have to watch like another sad coming out movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> like I, David and I, not that long, maybe like, I don't know, six months ago or a year ago, watched Love, Simon. And it was a really great movie. Like, I really enjoyed it. And it was nice. It was it was nice to see a mainstream movie about a gay character and, and especially the experience that that character has in high school and all of the um, all of the kind of questions that come about with coming out and those kinds of things. But again, it's like, every queer story is the coming out experience and the secrecy and not for nothing, but Simon has some really shitty friends in that movie. So yeah. It's like all of the drama in queer movies tends to feel very put on. It, and I don't know if it's because a lot more queer people aren't involved in making it, but I, I don't know. I think it's just it's there's, hard to say. there's this kind of there's this one storyline or like this handful of storylines that Hollywood feels people will accept in a gay movie. Yeah. And there's still kind of this weird. Um, <clears throat> uh, I actually I was watching. I cannot remember the name of this person now. I was watching a, a video essay by a gay film historian who was talking about this. But that part of the <coughs> sort of morality play of it is you're not allowed to show a queer person unless they're miserable. It's, yeah. it's that kind of like that's how you reinforce heteronormativity is you you make sure that in every movie where you show a gay person that person is miserable yeah <laughs> and like no matter how uplifting or how funny like there's always that being gay is hard and it's painful and it sucks and it's like yeah no it totally does but at the same time we don't have to talk about that in every goddamn movie <laughs> like, i know because it's only part of the queer experience and this is something i try to explain to people like it's part of what kind of reinforces in young people's minds that there's no out, that things always stay terrible, that things are awful. And it's probably part of what contributes to the high suicide rate in the LGBTQ community, especially in young people, is that it feels so hopeless. And it's like, but you don't understand, like, your small town is very small. Yeah, it's not. The and there's world. a much there's a much bigger world out there. And it's like you go and you and in any state, there's find going to your be baker a, a, with the schnecken, damn it. Find yeah. your schnecken guy. <laughs> find your lobster man. Like the, he's out there. I promise. There's always going to be a community for you to be a part of, and to tell the part the side of the story that's not just the gay hardship, like. Our lives are fun and funny and campy and silly and and colorful. Like there's that's what I love so much about Pride. And it's actually one of my biggest complaints against people who are like, oh, Pride should not be <clears throat> so like 
sexual and there shouldn't be so much celebration. It should just be a march. It's like it should be a march. It is a protest. But part of the protest is that there's joy in our community and we have the right to have joy in our community. And it's like, I I think the protest should be against some of the sponsorship of Pride, but not against the idea of people celebrating and playing loud music and dancing and having a good time. The The march has evolved, you know, and and that's a good thing. That's what we want it to do. But we we have to kind of find the balance. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. If nothing else, like I think nothing pisses off the people who hate us more than seeing us happy. Exactly. So like by Go all means and dance it. and if you want to do it half naked, that's fine. Like I don't yeah. it's it's cool. Or all naked. Yeah. Do it all care. naked. <laughs> like <laughs> No, but, like, but anyway, the bird cage. Yeah, anyway, the bird cage. <laughs> we we stopped to make a poignant uh commentary on the state of fried marches, but that's fine. I know. And I think it's an important thing to say is is that marches are very important, especially in small communities. Um, and I think that a lot of that resonates from the 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 commentary that's made in the birdcage is that we have so many different kinds of people in our community and there's there's no there's no necessity to be heteronormative. Like Albert is in no way heteronormative no and that's it's not only not bad it's like it's great it's great that that there are people in our community who have so many different qualities and personality traits and you shouldn't be you shouldn't be afraid or ashamed to experience those sides of yourself and that is something like that's part of where pissy came from you know is watching movies like the birdcage and being like i do that i can do that i'm funny i'm campy i'm colorful i like sequins and feathers and and big hair and <laughs> and funny dirty dark jokes like that's that's part of our community and that's that's a big part of where pissy came from i think I don't know that that's one of the reasons I love the birdcage is like even someone like dad who does who does kind of like lean towards the conservative is like dad showed us the birdcage before any of us came out and it's like and he's regretting it now I know (laughs) no he's not every day every day uh like dad showed us that movie and I think it speaks to the unifying core of this movie is that like it's hilarious it's hilarious and it makes these characters accessible to anyone like there's no way to watch this movie and not come out loving agador there's no way to watch this movie and come away not loving albert it's like how if you can do that you're just not a person (laughs) i just don't get it I i don't I, I don't understand it. <laughs> so funny story. Sarah doesn't like this movie. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's okay. To be completely fair to my wife, she has a really hard time with vicarious embarrassment. And that's where a lot of the humor comes from. So I think it's it's not that she doesn't like it or thinks there's something wrong with it. It's just it makes her uncomfortable. But it's not like meet the parents. I, I, I think that that is <coughs> her, her argument is that it's enough like it that she that she does not enjoy it. This is going to be a a huge chip in our relationship. 
To be fair, she did watch part of it with me yesterday and she did laugh. She she does not think it's unfunny. She just she has a hard time with the conceit. I know, but every movie has like you have to <laughs> you have to have obstacles. <laughs> That's part of a movie. <laughs> No, but like, and to, to talk about the conceit for a second, like, because if there is a single thing about this movie that even I'm kind of sitting here going, like, I do not understand how this was supposed to work at all. Like, the conceit of this film for anyone who needs a refresher <laughs> is this gay couple's son is marrying the daughter of a very conservative senator and they have mm-hmm. to pretend for a night that they're not gay. Yeah. And the way that they they do this... What ends up happening is Nathan Lane go d- does drag as Val's mother. So they are yeah. playing a heterosexual couple for an evening. Yeah, because Nathan Lane is a professional drag queen. They own a nightclub that's actually right below their home. It's called The Birdcage. And uh, and Robin Williams is the owner of the club. Nathan Lane is the star. And originally the plan is for Albert to play straight, but... Uh, it is <laughs> it is determined in one specific <laughs> scene that that is not possible. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so Nathan Lane one does is want told a hint of color. <laughs> one does want a hint of color. Uh, <laughs> t- no good. Actually, it's perfect. I just never realized John Wayne walked like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that's again part of the genius of Elaine May is that she wrote. Probably like one of the most quotable movies ever made. It is. There really isn't a scene where there's just nothing you can take away from it. I know. Every scene has like jokes upon jokes upon jokes. And the jokes become so layered as the story goes on. It's like this movie is a masterclass in comedy writing. It is, in my opinion, like I said, it is just the best. I I think... The Birdcage and uh, Noises Off are probably the two most well-written comedies ever written. Have you seen Noises Off? I have not seen Noises Off. Um, I have wanted to see it for a while now, but I I never seem to be able to find it. Not even the movie? Yeah, no, even the movie. I've I've had trouble finding it in a way I could watch that was free. I have the TV. Well, there's that. <laughs> I will mail enough. it to you. I, I'm like I'm like Netflix. <laughs> I'm gay Netflix. Oh my. Uh, oh, we should start that. We should gay start Netflix. gay Netflix and call it Getflix. <laughs> it's like get movies, but they're gay. <laughs> All of them are gay. Everything but they are super gay. <laughs> I mean, Netflix is already pretty gay. Like Netflix has a lot of queer content on it. Actually, they do. I although I will say quarantine is kind of like making me crazy because I'm like, why am I paying like $10 a month for a service or $12 a month or whatever the fuck it is for a service that like they have like four mainstream movies and then everything else is a B movie <laughs> I'm like, or a Netflix I'm like, original. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, there are literally millions of people subscribing to this service. You make like a billion dollars a year. Do you think maybe you could put like some more mainstream movies on here and not shark lake <laughs> like like you make enough money i think you can pay for the rights uh but anyway the birdcage um one of the things that i brought up that i think is so important to this movie is not only the genius that is elaine may 
But um, the cast of this movie is so perfect. Right down to the bit players. Like even the the people playing the unnamed drag queens in the club are so funny. It's like, it really shows the beauty of a drag performance. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Because you're seeing like, it's like they're on stage and they're all living their lives and then they run off stage and, uh, you know, the boobs come off, the dicks come out. It's like everything is, there is no, <laughs> there is no separation, no distinction between one person and the other. And it's like, then they just strap it all back in and, and it's back out on stage. And it, it also kind of highlights the the kind of funny nuances that actually exist in the drag world, which is like when that one drag queen does her before her performance, the, the, the song in Spanish, mm -hmm. and then her male dancer like twirls her off the stage yeah. and keeps taking bows. And it's like, that is absolutely something that I could see happening where it's like <laughs> the, the male performers want more attention than, than, the, than the female impersonators. And it's like, just like funny things like that, that are kind of like, kind of the eccentricities of the drag world that were so strangely made <laughs> depicted accurately by Elaine May. <laughs> Have you ever had a backup dancer try to chew gum while you're singing? I've never had a backup dancer. <laughs> uh, no, I have not. And thank God, because he would have gotten an endless stream of Albert quotes at him. <laughs> He's chewing gum while I'm singing. He can't do that while I'm singing. <laughs> I don't think I understand. Try more gum. <laughs> Albert, I know. <laughs> um, that also leads to one of my favorite quotes in the entire movie. I think you should come downstairs. She's trying to take his chewing gum away. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there are so many good quotes in this movie. I love it so much. So this and is how. And there's a crucifix in it. That is one of my, like, probably one of my top three uh, moments in the entire movie is uh, that and also with relation to the crucifix when Val is trying to explain to Barbara's parents what the home in South Beach is like. And he's like, it's it's more of a spiritual retreat. It's like a, it's like a, and then Robin Williams steps in front of the cross and he's like, monastery and it's it's just so deadpan and hysterical it's like that's what i mean when they're really good at just like mike nichols in as a filmmaker and elaine may as a writer are so good at just like nailing the tone of a moment they're so good at finding the beats in something and really highlighting them <clears throat> it's one of the things like as a like if I'm giving a film critique, that is my highest critique of this film is how well it nails the tone of any given moment. That's um, I think that's accurate. I, I don't think that there's any point where I felt like the tone felt off. I think that um, I think my highest compliment that I can give it is that I don't actually sit there and go well this is this would never work like what happens for like date two i know like, like, like how's like 
the, the fact that, <laughs> that I don't just sit there the entire movie going like I have no idea how anyone expected this to work and why did that why did she lie like 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 what did she think was going to happen <laughs> I know like, <laughs> at some point they're going to find out like, like it's not like they'll else, never see they're gonna each find other out again. that he's Jewish when they see a rabbi at the <laughs> wedding ceremony like I don't understand I why you would lie about his last fucking name like 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 what are you hoping to achieve like you were ah uh, yes you were just the gonna, d is geez. silent in america <laughs> <laughs> it's called de Mans or cold of the isle of man in france where armand chateau is it's i can literally quote this movie like backwards and forwards yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite favorite movies it is my favorite movie it's okay. it's just so good it's so good <laughs> i I've, I've like i've never been so excited to talk about a movie on this podcast because it is just like the it is it is the epitome of what I think a, a comedy movie should be. I, I think there is there is one person who I think has like something like 10 lines in the entire film that we haven't talked about yet, but is absolutely perfect. And that's Christine Baranski because she's perfect in everything. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She is very perfect. I'm not exactly maternal. <laughs> it's so good. And then she pops the champagne. It's so funny. <laughs> Is Albert here? No. Great. He's driving back from from wherever at, at t- going 10 miles an hour with the parking brake off. <laughs> Just here it's to collect so my good. toothbrush. You're going to the cemetery with your toothbrush. How Egyptian. How Egyptian. <laughs> Miss Albert, wait. Don't. Oh, you can cook, right? Your father seems to think so. <laughs> We quote this movie all the time in our personal lives, too. Like, Bob and I quote this movie at each other all the time. If we're, like, cooking something, I'll be, like, walking through the kitchen and I'll be like, but wait, there's shrimps. (laughs) (laughs) See, I do it every time we have shrimp. It's just like, like I, I can't be near shrimp without doing the bit. I know. Hank Azaria is the bit, like... One of the most unexpected parts of this movie. He is so good and really took a part that was just featured and made it so iconic. Like, he's one of the first things anyone thinks of when they think of this movie is Agador Spartacus. (laughs) Agador Spartacus. Agador Spartacus. Agador Spartacus. He he insists on being called by his full name. I, I I just love him. And I think like his delivery is so perfect. And Hank Azaria has been um, uh, interviewed about this a number of times. And he has said that his inspiration for Agador is just that he was doing an impression of his grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I was just being my grandmother, <laughs> which makes me wish that I could meet his grandmother. Right. I mean, I wonder if she's if she skims the pool in a thong. Like I doubt that part was part da, of it. Da, da. <laughs> <laughs> I love Agador Spartacus. If I could, if I could have like a friend with me in isolation besides David, it would be Agador Spartacus. <laughs> Don't you think it would be fun to get quarantined with Agador? I think I think it would be fun for maybe the first like twenty four hours. I think, I think <laughs> after that. I, I would have to do all the cooking. But... I feel like at some point, you know, he would get bored and then like. I feel be like naked. the only thing he'd have left to do is torture me. <laughs> but to be fair, I would do that as well. Yes, I, I would know. definitely torture you. It's That's a- why I think Bob is so glad that I am not quarantined with him. I would just, 
his life would be so rough. (laughs) (laughs) I would just be like pranking him and scaring him and tickling him. And those are really my favorite ways to interact with Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Is to just torture him. If you have an older sibling, you probably know the pain of of Bob. (laughs) Poor Bob. I've put him through so much hell. But uh, we also we also have a mutual love of this movie and of Agador Spartacus. Um, I think Hank Azaria is is a highlight of of the casting in this movie. I also want to say, like, I know it's obvious, but Nathan Lane is like, I think he should have won an Oscar for his performance <laughs> in this movie. Because, but, but like, honestly, honestly and truly and honestly, because it's touching, it's funny, it's nuanced. It's There's so many elements of his performance in this movie. Nathan Lane is, and I've said this before, Nathan Lane is the reason I am a performer today. Because I fell in love with Nathan Lane as a young person and that like kind of slapstick borscht belt style of comedy that he performs that kind of brooksian uh sid caesar style of comedy and he's a master of it especially in this movie um he he really finds a way to humanize albert in a way that like who else could do that he's such an outlandish character that it almost seems impossible to make him seem like a real person, but Nathan Lane manages it and he does it very well. <laughs> no, I agree. Just because, I mean, Albert, even the way Nathan Lane does it is, is a caricature of a human being. Like, like Yeah, like, absolutely. But I still, like I said, I still feel bad for him when they want to send him away. Like it's like yeah. making him sympathetic is a really hard thing to do. Like whenever you have like that kind of diva-ish character, it's a hard mm-hmm. thing to make them sympathetic but then the second they're like oh no you have to go away for a couple of days i'm like don't you fucking tell her to go away for a couple I of know. days like, what the hell is wrong with you <laughs> that he's your mother how could you do this <laughs> also value i'm very shit. maternal yeah. and albert's practically abreast <laughs> <laughs> i do I, I love this movie so desperately. Like, it really is just the the best movie ever made. And, I mean, we've talked about Robin Williams being cast in this movie. But I think we also have to be fair and talk a little bit about um, Gene Hackman and Diane Weist. (laughs) (laughs) Because their performances are so impeccable. And especially because, I mean, I I can't say this with 100% certainty, but I do believe that in real life, they are both pretty liberal people. Um, I, and again, like, again, I can't say it with 100% certainty, but I do believe that they're fairly liberal people. And that's why it's always interesting to me to watch people like that play these parts because it's so... It, it's like watching Alec Baldwin play uh, Jack on 30 Rock. It's like him playing this like corporate elitist Republican when he is in real life, very much like uh, an an establishment Democrat. So it's like (laughs) watching this dichotomy. And Gene Hackman does such a good job of like, even as a gay person, you can't help but fall in love with him. And that's kind of, again, the beauty of this movie is that it kind of breaks down all the barriers, not just the gay ones 
for conservative people, but also kind of the conservative ones for queer people. Um, and it shows you that like many, not all, but many conservative people can be made to be brought around and, and to realize that their ideology is flawed because by, by the end, I mean, I wouldn't say that they're best friends, but they, they have kind of like found a way to come together a bit. You know, mostly saving Gene Hackman's ass as he stands there going, I don't don't understand. I don't don't, don't understand. You can't be Jewish. (laughs) No, Kevin, Kevin, (laughs) this is a man. (laughs) (laughs) They're both men. (laughs) I don't don't understand. Okay. It's still me. Just with one tiny difference. Well. Not tiny. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And there, there's so many moments, and like like the the dining room scene, probably one of the best scenes in any movie ever. <laughs> is that an egg? A what? An egg? Why? Yes, that is a huevo. This is so <laughs> Guatemala. Um, it's I'm also extra- with the bowls. Just the whole bit with the bowls is fantastic. <laughs> and girls, don't you have girls on your bowl? I have one. Yes, and there's one on mine. <laughs> it's been a long time since you've seen one. That's a boy. <laughs> I may need glasses, but I can see that. <laughs> it's so funny. There's a there's a moment because La Caja Fall, the French film, originally was translated into a Broadway musical that was written by Jerry Herman. And uh, the book was actually written by Harvey Firestein, the book of that musical, which he won uh, his second Tony Award for after Torch Song. And there's a funny song in that because the the plot line is essentially the same. It's basically the same thing. Um, and there's the scene at the dinner and the mother is singing. Uh, there, there's kind of this like moment. There's this song that's like a quartet and they're all singing kind of the thoughts that are going through their own head and um, the conversation that's happening at the table. And the mother is like, oh, what lovely dishes. They're so delicate and frail. Mine has naked children. I believe they're only male. Oops, I think they're playing some exotic little game. And then Val cuts in and he's like, oops, I think that leapfrog is its name. <laughs> it's like, a, it's just so funny. <laughs> It's such a funny moment. And uh, that is kind of mirrored in the birdcage. But then that whole, like, from the moment the parents arrive, it just is the best part of the movie. Like, everything that happens after that is just comedy gold. Um, Especially close to Flockhart trying desperately to get Nathan Lane into the bathroom when his wig pops off. (laughs) Is is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Don't you agree? No, I'd really like Mrs. Coleman to show me. <laughs> My man. This is so beautiful. I I think I'm going to cry. <laughs> That's just our dog piranha. We lock her up when there's company. Um I, I this is I told you this entire episode was just going to be me quoting the movie at you. <laughs> it really is. It's just the perfect movie. And Diane Weist is easily one of the best characters i just i 
I just love how like subdued she is, and then it, it's just like I can't even describe it. It's it's like I, I said it before. It's like it's one second she's a kindergarten teacher, and the next minute she's a tiger mom, and I, I fucking know. love it. And the next minute she's a PR rep, and the yeah. next minute she is a senator, and the next minute she's it's like <laughs> the, she she has so many different facets of her character that like. And you get Again. the distinct impression that she is the brains in this relationship. And it's, it's like... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Senator Keeley is a fucking idiot. <laughs> He's a moron. I don't, I don't understand. Sh- I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand. <laughs> and even the, even the pep talk she gives him when he climbs in the window and she's like, there's the cover of People and Time and Newsweek right there. It's like she's just constantly like doing the hard work and he's just like shaking hands and smiling like an idiot. Um... I, but that's kind of the beauty of of Diane Weiss as an actress. I think, again, it takes a, a person of great skill to play a part like this and make her likable and enjoyable because these characters easily could have gone in a direction where it's easy for the, the audience or at least the queer audience to dismiss them and be like, these people are awful. But you end up loving them because of how silly and uh, eccentric they are. It It kind of shows... And how vulnerable they are, too. Like, that whole bit where she's yeah. like, somebody has to like me best. <laughs> I know. Like, well, like, you actually feel bad for her in that I moment. I know. Like, you why feel, do I feel bad you? feel for you? sorry for her. Like, <laughs> she's she's so, like, clearly upset by the fact that Kevin has been flirting with, <laughs> with uh, Albert all night. <laughs> Mrs. Coleman. <laughs> what does he say his name is? What does... Do they ever say what... I don't think they do, actually. I think Robin Williams calls him mother for the entire season. He's Mike Pence. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) I don't think, I think they only ever call her Mrs. Coleman. Yeah, no, I don't think they ever give her a first name. Huh. I never noticed that until this very moment. Someone's going to comment and be like, no, they call her, you know, so-and-so at at this. Because they don't call her Catherine. No, they don't. They don't call her Catherine and... As I recall, they only call her mother, mom, or Mrs. Coleman the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, that's so strange. And even Gene Hackman, he's like, poor Mrs. Coleman, she cries if you call her mother. (laughs) (laughs) They just don't make women like that anymore. (laughs) Well, no, they don't. Thank goodness. It is funny to me. And you know what's interesting is um, at the end when, when when Albert is saying like, Kevin, Kevin, nothing's changed. It's still me. I still believe in blah 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 blah. I was like, wait, does that mean that the abortion speech was <laughs> was real? <laughs> wait, does Albert actually believe that? Like, I know because <laughs> is Albert a log cabin Republican? Wait a minute. <laughs> I know it's so strange <laughs> because there is that. The, I mean, for anyone who does not know the quote I'm talking about, it is the most iconic, memorable, and probably the best quote from the entire movie. And it's when Albert uh, says. Uh, uh, what? How does it start? It's like I know that. Well, you don't want to kill uh, the doctors; they're just doing their jobs. Kill the mothers; that will no. Stop them. Yeah, well, you don't want to kill the doctors; they're just doing their jobs. If you're going to kill someone, kill the mothers; that'll that'll stop it. Uh, I know what you're going to say. If you kill the mother, then the fetus dies too. But the fetus is going to be aborted anyway, so why not let it go down with the ship? <laughs> we would like to point it's... out this was 1996, and she was talking to the equivalent of like fucking rush limbaugh 
I know. <laughs> and and that is also something that I think is important to recognize is the evolution of uh of uh queer culture since 1996 because <laughs> you know viewpoints have changed and at, at the time heteronormativity was a big thing. It was a big part of the queer movement in kind of making us less scary to straight people. And whether you think it's right or wrong, it was part of the movement and I'm not defending it by any means, but I do think that it was an effective tool in um, kind of bringing queer culture to the foreground. Now the, uh, the, <laughs> now I think the fight is to kind of point out that we're not just like straight people. We are, we are people and we have the commonality of human <laughs> humanity, but uh, we, our lives are quite different. Our culture is quite different. Our social activities are quite different and it's not a bad thing. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Do you have a favorite joke or bit from the movie? I, I think my favorite Honestly, and it's it's so stupid. It is like two seconds, but it's when Albert says, shall we have our coffee in the living room? And he just picks the <laughs> champagne glass up and it clinks. I had yeah. never realized until this most recent watch through just how much everyone was drinking. Yeah. Like, I think that they refilled Gene Hackman's scotch something like six times. But I think that that, over you know, as, <laughs> when you watch it as an adult, it kind of cues you into the fact that, like, no one is playing drunk but it kind of cues you into why this is all working. And it's yeah. because they're all and obliterated. It's they're all fucking wasted <laughs> is, what, is what's happening. Like, like they, they go through like three bottles of wine and Gene Hackman has, has almost emptied a decanter of scotch by the time this game is over. Like, <laughs> Robin Williams is like, the, the, Val is like, my God, you're soaked. He's like, I'm sweating like some kind of farm animal. <laughs> it's like riding a psychotic horse towards a burning stable which is my other favorite line in the entire film i actually i use that one in my personal life as well do you the, the ride, riding a psychotic horse for a burning stable is like my go-to for an unmanageable situation i know and actually and the scary thing is is i've said it to like straight people that i work with <laughs> and like, they like i used it. to say it at the courthouse all the time and they don't get it they did not yeah. get it at all <laughs> uh, they were like that's a really funny thing to say i'm like it's from a movie like like why how, how do you not know this film i know like, like i did not come up with this on the spot like my... I, I wish i could say that this was just my bit, but it's not <laughs> i know i wish i was that funny um my favorite moment that well not i don't want to say it's my favorite moment but it's certainly one that i use in my personal life regular like on a regular basis is how about those dolphins huh <laughs> And then he drops it in the bucket of ice. Like I say it anytime I'm in an awkward situation, I'll just be like, how about those dolphins? Huh? And nobody gets it. And it doesn't break the, 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 it doesn't break the, the tension. tension. No, not at all. So it um, works exactly as well as it does in the movie. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting. I know. I, d I don't know if I can pick a favorite moment. This like my favorite moment is everything that happens between the very beginning and the very end. I, I can't pick a favorite movie. <laughs> I mean, that's that's fair. I also love I love that tall drag queen with the deep voice. The one that says Bob Dole is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And I love the moment when she's running through the when she's coming out at the very end and she's singing the song. She's like, we family and it, it's just like it's so <laughs> funny to me it's it's everything that drag is supposed to be it's like 
subversive and gender bending and playing with the idea of, of cultural stereotypes and gay stereotypes and like everything about this movie is just what I love to poke fun at. And, and the way it pokes fun at those things is so perfect. It is immaculate in my, in my mind. Do you think that, do you think that, uh, there are parts of this movie that would be considered, I shouldn't say that would be considered because I know that, that, uh, there are things that would be considered problematic today, but do you think it, do you think that the things about this movie that would be considered problematic today, um, I don't want to say ruin the movie for you, but do you find them difficult to watch the movie now? I don't because, and I mean, I feel like we've had this conversation like 900 times. Like it's the context of the time in which it was made. A. And the context of the movie. And B, it's a farce. Like you're not supposed to look at it too closely. Like it's it's supposed to be outrageous. Yeah. You're not supposed to take it literally. You're not supposed to examine every little bit. Like you're just supposed to try to enjoy it. And like, listen, if you watching this film go, no, I don't like that. And it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Then like, that's fine. But the point of farce is to be over the top and it's to kind of cross lines and cross boundaries and not care. So it's kind of what it says on the tin. It's a little dead dove. Do not eat like, yeah. <laughs> like if, yeah. If, if you don't like comedy that doesn't have boundaries at all, then you're not going to enjoy a farce. And that's, and that's my the favorite. That's my favorite kind of comedy is comedy that literally has no bounds. I like comedy that, tears walls down and and makes you it kind of like points the finger at everything and says laugh at this laugh at this now laugh at that now laugh at this and it's like every side of the box it's not just one or two sides i like things that poke fun at gay culture i think it's i think it's important to keep yourself grounded because if we take the movement too seriously will be will be bogged down by it you have to find the funny in it you know you have to find the things it's also about just it like not every ridiculous. part of our lives is the movement yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's it's like being gay is a political act but being gay isn't all like, like being gay isn't only a political act <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like you're you're, you're you don't have to take everything having to do with being gay so seriously and i I don't frankly think that you should if nothing else like we're kind of ridiculous so we should just kind of revel in it and enjoy it and it's like you you can't argue that queer people are not overly dramatic we we are inherently (laughs) drawn to it it's the reason we all end up in the arts I mean, not all of us. It's not like they're every one of us, even on Wall Street, and things like that. They perform musical numbers in their cubicles. It's what we do. (laughs) It's what we do. No, but being (laughs) being a little campy and a little over the top is is part of gay culture, whether we like it or not. And I know you just have to kind of embrace it. Like that's just kind of part of what it is. And that's part of my drag. Is like I not I don't I don't just embrace it. I celebrate it. Like it's okay to think there's something about you that's funny. That's like kind of ridiculous. And it's not a criticism of it. It's just like, it's okay to say like, this thing about me is weird, but I like it. And it's funny. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not accusatory and it's not critical. It's just like, hey, no, you're just this thing about me is weird fact. and I like it. And it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, like <laughs> as a, as a queer, 
as as a femme gay man and effeminate gay man, like I am perfectly willing to admit that there are things about me that are funny, like inherently funny. Like when I'm having a meltdown about sequins, like that's funny. That's <laughs> it just is like it's funny. Or when I'm having like a full on panic attack about things and I'm I like I'm like it's like but but it's it's always something that's so trivial like David has actually laughed at me in the middle of a meltdown and it and it it really does serve like for me in the moment to be like you're being ridiculous you're being you're being Albert (laughs) but I think one of the nice things about the birdcage and one of the things I like the best about it is there is no judgment of Albert like it, it's no. you're being Albert but that's not necessarily a bad thing no because no one is saying that he shouldn't be effeminate and no one is saying that he shouldn't be colorful or vibrant I think that sometimes Armand has has trouble uh managing it because it, it can be over the top and I think that that's where but I think that that is so well balanced again by that scene where he's telling him like I love you. This is why that's why I'm here. If you want it, it's yours cuz I'm going to be here one way or another. And it's like that's the beauty of their relationship is that yeah, Albert is over the top and over dramatic and um ha- has a, a a flair for dramatics and 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 things like that, but that's part of what Armand loves about him and it's part of what makes him endearing to his partner and that's that's the beauty of the birdcage is that all of this is a celebration of the things we're poking fun at at the same time yes i just love this movie (laughs) (laughs) i do i it's like it's just the most perfect i have like four copies of it i have the shooting script i have like I have so much Birdcage that I have La Caja Fall. It's one of my favorite musicals. One day, and I'm I'm saying this out loud so that other people can hear it. One day, I will star in La Caja Fall <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> Even if it's a community theater production in bumfuck Oklahoma, like I will play Alban in La Caja Fall somewhere. <laughs> it's a good goal. <laughs> and if you're a casting director and you're listening, call me. <laughs> Busymiles.com. Um, so we are at the end of the episode, unfortunately. But we do have some good trope bad tropes to play. Yes, we do. Um I don't have I don't have a coin with me. Um I believe I, I still have a coin flipper on my phone. Oh thank goodness, because I don't have anything to flip coins. Uh we are going to do a little good trope, bad trope in uh and and like we have said, there are plenty of tropes that are used in, and stereotypes that are used in this movie. So I don't think we'll have any trouble coming up with <laughs> with tropes to talk about. No. Um, do you want to go first or do you want um, me to go first? I'll go first. Why, why am I not? Okay. So the first trope we are playing is guess who's coming to dinner. <laughs> and that, that is uh, the parents of one of the romantic leads have to adjust to the person or persons coming that their child has chosen. So what, what that means is uh, Armand and Albert have to change 
everything about them that suggests they're gay to impress these conservative people that are Barbara's parents that are coming over. That is the trope we are either defending or opposing. And Okay, so I'm going I'm, to flip. And if I get heads, I have to defend it. If I get tails, I have to tear it down. I hope you get heads. <laughs> I got tails. Son of a bitch, prove it. Show me. <laughs> God, I don't want to defend it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I I think that there's an argument to be made both ways. But um, this I mean, one, yeah, this one is tough because I think I think it's from sort of an emotional standpoint. Like, this is a really hard conceit to make likable. Like, yeah. there's there's a legitimate <laughs> argument to be made that like. This entire movie wouldn't have happened if Callista Flockhart hadn't been an idiot. Like, basically, this entire film doesn't happen if Barbara doesn't lie to her parents. But yeah, it's, and if Val hadn't, gone and if along Val with had it. been like, "No, these are my parents. Fuck you. Either they come the way they are or not." Like, yeah, yeah. You, you, you said yes to marrying me. You knew this was coming, so fuck you. This is no surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so it's. It is literally, it is a conceit to make plot happen. Like, that. that is that is literally all it is. There's there's really no redeeming plot anything to this other than we, we need an excuse to have Albert show up and drag at the end of this movie. Is that your oppositional that's, argument? That's my opposition, so you get to defend it. I, so no, before I say this, mm-hmm. that I don't believe a word of it. Okay. <laughs> So when you are in a a committed relationship, you are willing to make sacrifices for your partner. And sometimes that involves making some very difficult decisions with regards to your morals. Like, I'm not saying that you should totally change who you are, but being part of a committed relationship, one that is, is... especially a relationship that is monogamous and uh, like like a traditional heteronormative, let's call it, relationship. There are certain elements that are very difficult because you do end up having to compromise and you do end up having to compromise things that you never expected to have to compromise and things that may be very important to you. Because you may not, you you have to realize that there are going to be things that are very important to your partner. You know, it's easy for us to say, oh, Barbara and Val should have done this. They should have done that. But it was the 90s. And she did have not only conservative parents, but like a political figure who was the the father figure in her family. So... They are fighting up against basically the most intimidating structure that someone in this situation could have been facing. And while it is a misled interpretation <laughs> of <laughs> of what should happen, I do think that it is a compromise that they think they're making for the people they love. And it is one that they think is necessary to maintain civility. So that's my argument. Well, well played. 
I'm, I'm surprised you had anything. To be perfectly I, honest. I, honestly, I am too, but what can, what can you do? Okay, what is, what is the second trope? The second trope is mask slash femme. And in every gay relationship, there's one partner that takes on the traditionally masculine role and one that takes on the traditionally feminine one. And so help me God, if you make me defend this too, I'll kill you. <laughs> I, I'm flipping the coin. <laughs> you got tails. Go ahead. Isn't heads? Nope. You got tails. You get to tear it down. Oh, good. Because it's not true. <laughs> there are there are plenty of... of uh, there are plenty of, of gay or queer relationships that have two femme partners. There are plenty of queer relationships that have two mask partners. There, It's literally the origin of the mask for mask commentary. Um, there are just... It, there is a spectrum of human sexuality. Some people are attracted to effeminate people. Some people are attracted to... Uh, more masculine people. Some people don't identify as masculine or feminine. There are people who are non-binary. And so there, there is a, a huge spectrum of, of people. I don't think, I, I think that the mask and femme trope is something that was devised as part of the, I think it was the heterosexual response to seeing heteronormative gay relationships because they think, oh, there's a man and there's a woman in a relationship. It has to be that way in a queer relationship as well. You good? <laughs> okay, I guess, good luck. I guess I defend this. <laughs> Have fun with this one. <laughs> okay. Um, I, th I think, and I feel the need to preface this by saying I don't believe this at all. <laughs> um, so you know, 100% devil's advocate. I, I, I think I there there is an argument to be made that because gay relationships tend to have more diversity, so to speak, in gender identity amongst their participants, that in order to show that to heterosexual audiences we try to put it in a form that we think they'll understand mm. so it's if one's the man and one's the woman then there's someone for both partners to identify with and they're not sitting there going this feels completely alien to me um i think that's a line of bullshit because to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you i've met plenty of men who don't fall into the masculine role in their heterosexual relationship yeah but <laughs> that was i you know what i'm gonna say that was a very impressive interpretation it, it was a hundred percent bullshit like heteronormati <laughs> heteronormativity is the devil and but i do think that you made it the most accessible Thank argument you. for I, that, I appreciate that. For, not not that i think it's correct <laughs> but it was the most uh it, it was a very interesting interpretation i didn't expect that i, 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 I hadn't thought of it exist. that way this is just <laughs> It was it was very impressive. You should be on a debate team. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thirty four years old. That was a very impressive argument. I I do think it's bullshit, but it was yeah, no, it no, was it it is interesting. And honestly, it kind of reminds me of like unwilling Grace when Grace's mom is like one person is the flower and the other is the gardener. Yeah, you know, and it's like I I do think that in many ways relationships are like that. Um, but I think it I switches think... off 
I think that, that yeah. sometimes you're... We all have our flower moments and we all yeah. have our gardener moments. But I, I do think that You take care of each some... other because you're two grown-ass adults. That's, yeah. that's how this works. <laughs> I do think that there's something to be said for the idea of the there being like... Like, I can say David really gets a lot of joy from like taking care of me. Like, it brings him a lot of fulfillment to know that he is able to bring me joy and to provide for me like that is something that I know he takes pride in and I mean I feel that way about him as well but there is kind of that element of some people really do enjoy providing like they they enjoy being the gardener yeah in a lot of ways you know and I think that there's something to be said for that in in this argument is that there are certain people who associate being the quote unquote gardener with being the masculine quote again quote unquote entity in the relationship i don't think that's accurate but i think that that's something that people often equate with that that role in the relationship and i think it's important to note that again those roles can change over time they can swap back and forth they cannot exist mm -hmm. to start with like I've, I've certainly met people who i wouldn't describe their relationship is one person provides and the other one is provided for, so to speak. Like, like it's a very people. yeah, it's a very rare the, occurrence. <laughs> the expression of human affection is wide and diverse, almost like humans themselves. So I know like, it's there's, so there's no strong and fast rule almost. <laughs> Who knew? Crazy. How shocking. <laughs> well, kids, that's it. I you know, I will say this is one of the first discussions we've had about a movie where I was like, wow, I really got in most of what I wanted to talk about, about this movie that I love so much. I feel like a lot of times we've, like in our discussion about uh, Clue, I think mostly because it was a mini-sode, yeah. um, we, uh, we have kind of like only like seen the top, the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. And, and there's always like part of me that wants to keep talking about it but i feel like doing a a, a main sized episode about the birdcage was a necessity i don't think you can talk <laughs> about this film without really diving into it and hey we got to do another movies that made us gay so. i know i love movies that made us gay and this time it was a main episode i hope you all did enjoy it it is my absolute number one tippy top favorite movie of all time and i hope that uh while you have a little bit of time to yourselves in quarantine you will go and watch this movie and revel in it and love it and even if you are my sister-in-law you will <laughs> spend some time <laughs> enjoying this movie <laughs> So that's it for the Birdcage Kids. I hope you like this episode. Stay safe. Stay safe. Oh, Jesus. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Practice your social distancing. Wash your hands. Watch your movies. And uh, until next time, stay spoopy and remember. Hello. What did you think? You look like Lucy's stunt double. No, I'm a combination of Lucy and Ricky. And it's terrifying. My Spooky Gay Family features music by Nate Walker, artwork by David Elon, and this episode contains clips from The Birdcage, distributed by United Artists 1996. Please subscribe on iTunes, leave us a nice message, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. My Spooky Gay Family is a product of Barbadool Productions. Productions.